Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Crossroads family. This fan is not really helping me out. It's blowing my papers all over the place. <laughs> um, well, good morning. It is really good to be here with you guys. It's definitely a different setting for me. I like hanging out with the kids, but I guess uh, hanging out with the big kids will be all right this morning. Um, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And why don't you go ahead and uh, turn your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip down to verses 32 through 34. And if you have a blue Bible like mine here, um, it's going to be on page, well, we're going to start on page 974, and then we're going to skip over to the other page. If you don't have a blue Bible like mine, then you're on your own for finding where we're at. (laughs) By the way, whoever turned the fan down a little bit, thank you so much. Um, Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, and then 32 to 34. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And skipping over to verse 32. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have made yourself known in scripture. Through the lives of men and women like Abraham, Moses, Rahab, David prophets, and most of all, Jesus. Father, we want to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word, so that we can go from here and be light in the darkness to our world, to our street corners. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would empower us Open our hearts, Father, to pay attention to your word this morning. Open our eyes to not only see, but to realize what is being shown here. Open our ears to not only hear, but to understand so that we would delight in your word, we'd accept your word, we wouldn't stop thinking about your word, and we wouldn't stop living in obedience to your word. Father, speak this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. So we're continuing the summer-long series through Hebrews 11. And um, 
This morning we're going to be getting to the end of the chapter and it's now starting to get to the point where different names are getting jumbled together with different actions and you start wondering who's doing what and how do we know and to be honest with you, um, I haven't been able to answer that question very easily. Um, I'm not so familiar with guys like Gideon and Barack and Samson. I'm seeing Barack's name and I'm like, what's the president doing there? You know? <laughs> so thanks to Rod for clarifying that for me. Um, but if you're in the same boat as me, let me just say this first before we do anything else. You're okay. We're okay. We're going to be diving into this thing together. And my hope is that when we come out of this time in the Word, we, we could just walk away with this simple main point, that when we are weak and call upon the Lord, He will make us strong. When we are weak and call upon the Lord, He will make us strong. So we're going to be opening up the pages of the life of a man who was the biblical poster child for strength. Who could guess who that guy is? Samson, yeah. Um, now before we get over to Samson, we've got to make sure that we're doing our diligence here and paying attention to the text that brings us to Samson in the first place. So we're going to be looking first off at Hebrews chapter 11. And as we do that, we've got to think about this question first off. Why is Hebrews 11 here? And I think we've thought about that question throughout the course of this series, but let's just keep asking that question so that we can stay grounded throughout the course of this series. Why is Hebrews 11 here? And to answer that question, we need to look at its immediate context. So if you have your Bibles open, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. And... You know, it's kind of cool to hear those initial whisks of the Bible. I've never been in a, I've never preached in a building big enough to hear whisks of the Bible as pages are turning. So, way to go. We're part of a first together. <laughs> All right. So, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. This is going to give us the context of why Hebrews 11 is here. And it reads, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved. In this verse, the writer of Hebrews is answering an important question in the minds of his readers. Who are we? Who are we? The original readers of Hebrews, uh, they had been facing hard struggles and sufferings as a result of believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And when we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, we see just what those sufferings, just what those struggles were. So if you want to follow along, 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, tells them, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. This is what they went through. This was the hard struggle, the hard sufferings. This was the experience that tested their confidence in who they were. And maybe you can relate to that right now. Maybe you could relate to that a few years ago where you either went through or are going through something that's got you asking some honest questions. Can I endure? Is this believing in Jesus thing really worth it? Who am I? And in the context of this early Christian community, they were asking those same questions. Who are we? And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, that's the question the writer is answering. And he answers it both negatively and positively. Negatively, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. Positively, we belong to those who have faith and are saved. In other words, what he's saying is that we belong to a family of faith with a legacy of confidently enduring life's hardest struggles and sufferings because of this reason. When we are weak and call upon the Lord, he will make us strong. It's not about us. It's all about him. And so that is why Hebrews 11 is here, to illustrate first through the lives of people like Samson who we are. And second, to lay a foundation for us to encounter him who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at Samson to encounter Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't hate that. That's good news. Joke fail. It's okay. But that's where we're going, though. We are going to look at Samson this morning to encounter Jesus. We're going to look at his calling, his failure, and his redemption. And as we look at Samson's calling, as we look at Samson's failure, as we look at Samson's redemption, we will encounter Jesus in his calling, Jesus in his victory, Jesus in our redemption. So that said, let's look at Samson. Let's start with his calling. So turn over to the left in your Bibles to Judges chapter 13, verse 1, and If you have the blue Bible, that's going to be in the bottom right corner of page 
201. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. This is going to give us the context of Samson's calling. And when we come over to Judges chapter 13, verse 1, we read this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So, the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Samson enters the scene at a time when Israel has already left Egypt as slaves. They've already wandered through the wilderness and they've already been settling into the promised land. And as they're settling into the promised land, they're living in this constant cycle of who's influencing who. You see, for one season, Israel is living in obedience and blessing. And then in the other season, they're living in disobedience and cursing. And the question who's influencing who is this. Will the Israelites influence the nations around them or will the nations around them influence the Israelites? And in order for us to understand Samson's calling, we must see it in light of Israel's calling. And you don't have to turn here, but this is in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. And just listen along to Moses talking to Israel just as they're about to enter the promised land. This is Coach's final pep talk before the players hit the stage or the field or whatever. They're about to enter the land and they need some warning and exhortation. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, Moses tells them, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me for this purpose, so that as the Lord, sorry, misread there, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, and here's why. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. And this is what will happen when they show their wisdom and understanding to the nations. Moses tells Israel, they will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Who else? What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Answer, no one. Another question Moses asks them, and what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Answer, no one. And if we were to just summarize Israel's calling, it's actually pretty simple. Israel's calling was to be light in the darkness to the nations. 
light in the darkness to the nations. By obeying decrees and instructions of the Lord, and by, being, by the Lord being so near them that he actually heard and answered their prayers, Israel would be light to the nations. Light in the darkness. But then we come back to Judges chapter 13. And we see that in the midst of Israel's calling, they actually were failures. The nations were influencing Israel, not the other way around. And as a result, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's why, if they wanted to go ahead and do what was right in the eyes of the nations and do what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, God wasn't going to hold on to them and coerce them to do what he's commanded them. If you want to be like the nations here, I'll give you the nations. And that's where Samson's calling comes into play. And we see his calling immediately after we see that description of what's going on here in Israel. In Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 5, we see this description, this little short story about Samson's calling. So look with me there. Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 5 read, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but... You are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Isn't that good news? It gets better. Verse 4. Now, see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. And all the responsible mothers in the house would say, well, yeah, duh. But there's more to it. Verse 5. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor. Here's why. Because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. In these verses, specifically verse 5, we see the marching orders for Samson's calling. There's two sides to the coin. On the first side of Samson's calling is his mission. In Samson's calling, his mission was to take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. On the other side of the coin was Samson's manner of life. In his calling, Samson's manner of life was to be a Nazarite. And in verse 5, the angel of the Lord explains what this means. To be a Nazarite means that you are dedicated to God. And if you wanted to see that more fleshed out, you could go to Numbers chapter 6, 
But this will, this will be enough for us to kind of get a grasp of how Samson was to fulfill his calling. He was to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God. And the sign of that was Samson's head was never to be touched by a razor. And Dan Mike had some folks uh, raise their hands earlier. Why don't we just keep that good thing going? And if you are married, why don't you raise your left hand, please? Okay. So that ring on your left finger, outward symbol of your internal commitment to your spouse in marriage. And just like that wedding ring, uh, Samson's hair, his long hair that probably eventually grew into dreadlocks, Samson's long hair was the outward expression of his inward dedication to the Lord. People would have seen Samson's long hair and thought, there's God's man. Just like when people see your wedding ring. They think there's someone's spouse. And so, here's Samson, Israel's Nazarite warrior, who is called to be to Israel what they had failed to be to the nations. Light in the darkness. This was Samson's calling. But let me ask you this question. How much more is this our calling? How much more are we called to be light in the darkness to our world, to our street corners, if we are followers of him who is the true light, Jesus? So let me ask you these questions here. When people see your life, do they instantly think, there's God's man? There's God's woman. Are we so reflective of Christ's light that when people see just our habitual lifestyle of doing good for others, that they give glory to our Father in heaven? Just as Israel was called to be light in the darkness to the nations, just as Samson was called to be light in the darkness to Israel, we, as followers of Jesus, are called to be light in the darkness right on our street corner. But as we read on in Samson's story, we got to be honest. Was he really, was he really light in the darkness? And to take it a step further, are we really light in the darkness? As we read on in Samson's story, it becomes so clear that something's gone wrong. Samson's life is this mixed bag because at one point, in one way, his life is full of the works of God's Spirit. I mean, just think about this. In Judges 13, verse 25, there's this phrase. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir or trouble Samson. Then three more times following, it builds to this phrase. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. But then mixed within these works of God's Spirit, Samson's life also is this slow fade in a dark direction. Little by little, 
Samson, Israel's Nazarite warrior, Israel's light in the darkness, becomes seduced by that darkness. And in the end, we see that just like Israel, in the midst of Samson's calling, he too is a failure. And to illustrate what I mean, we don't have to do a crash course speed through of Samson's life. We can just start right at the beginning and see the little by little spiral in that dark direction of being seduced by the darkness. Uh, Turn with me to Judges chapter 14, verse 2. Or verses 1 and 2, I should say. Judges chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. This is coming immediately after we read that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir Samson. So just think about that and the expectation it should set you up with for what Samson's going to do. See how that measures up when we read this here. Judges 14, verses 1 and 2. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Immediately after the Spirit of the Lord began to stir Samson, he wants to get married. Why not? That's good. He wants to marry not an Israelite woman, but a Philistine woman, though. Does anyone find this strange? This is a clear violation of several instructions from the Lord to Israel that they must not marry foreigners. Just listen to this from Exodus chapter 34, verses 15 and 16. The Lord warns Israel, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. Here's why. For When they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. In these verses, the Lord clearly prohibited Israel from marrying foreigners. The reason was simple. Marry a foreigner and you will worship a foreign God who is not Yahweh, who is not the Lord. And yet Samson completely disregards these instructions and is bent on marrying this foreign Philistine woman. Just look there in Judges chapter 14, verse 3. We see just how bent he is on marrying this woman. Judges 14, verse 3. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? And listen to Samson's response. And try to think, who is this decision all about? 
But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. When Samson's parents questioned if he really must marry this woman, Samson's emphatic. I want to marry her. And I'm sure that there's some parents here. I know my parents could relate to conversations we had when I was a teenager of the conflicts and the arguments about who your children are dating in high school. And um, I know for me, there were one or two uh, young women who I dated throughout high school, you know, and I was insistent upon dating them, you know. I argued just like Samson. (laughs) She's the right one for me. She's right in my eyes. It was all about me. And Samson was just the same way. Take it a little step further. I knew I had no business dating these women who were not following Jesus. And I even justified it on the grounds of missionary dating. Anybody know what that's all about? (laughs) Dating the girl to save the girl. (sighs) My goodness, Jerome. I thought that I could fulfill the mission of God in my life by toying around with the tactics of the world. I wanted these women to be saved. And I was attracted to them too. But in my youthful passion and selfish pride, I disregarded the clear instructions of the Lord just like Samson. And it only led to failure on my part in the eyes of the Lord. And that's, that's Samson's failure. Samson's failure is not so much about his mission. He took lead in delivering Israel out of the hands of the Philistines with flying colors. His failure really was about his manner of life, being light in the darkness. And if we're honest with ourselves, the same is true for all of us. As followers of him who is the true light, Jesus, all of us have failed to be light in the darkness, one way or another. How many of us have justified toying around with the tactics of the world in the name of fulfilling the mission of God in our lives? How many of us have believed that if we just gave a little here, gave a little there, then the end would justify the means? The good works done in Jesus' name would justify the ungodly, boss-like attitude I'm having to get people to do that work. Or, nope, there's going to be people saved, so I can go ahead and use all these manipulative tactics to communicate the gospel. It's not how it works. If we are going to be followers of him who is the true light, We fight with the weapons of light, not with the weapons of darkness. With the weapons of the spirit, not the weapons of the flesh.
Either we're walking in the light and fighting day in, day out to do that, or we're being seduced by the darkness. Just as we share in Israel's calling, just as we share in Samson's calling, we also share in their failures. But the good news is that we also can share in their redemption. So let's, let's go there. Let's look at Samson's redemption. See what it tells us about our redemption. Samson's redemption comes after he is seduced by the darkness and cannot see the light. Samson is so seduced by the darkness at this point that in Judges chapter 16, verse 20, he doesn't even know that the Lord has left him. By this time, Samson's hair is cut. And the secret of his strength is known. And when the Philistines come upon Samson, we see both the expected and the unexpected happen. In Judges chapter 16, verse 21 and 22, we see what happens after the Lord had left Samson. Judges chapter 16, verse 21 and 22 read, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. After the Lord had left Samson, we see both the expected and the unexpected happen. We expect to see the Philistines seize Samson, gouge out his eyes, take him into Philistine territory. We expect to see Samson bound with shackles and put into forced labor as a prison slave. But what we don't expect to see is what the writer of Judges tells us, that the hair on Samson's head began to grow back again. This is not a status update about Samson's appearance. It's a statement about Samson's dedication to God. Remember, Samson's long hair was the wedding ring that outwardly expressed his inward dedication to God. And this statement should stun us because though the Lord had left Samson, Samson's dedication to the Lord began to grow back again. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can think back to what happened five years ago. Maybe you can think back to what happened last week, or you can think of what's going on right now. Doesn't it seem like we should expect times of loss to be times of death to our faith? Doesn't it seem like we should expect that when we're at our weakest, when we can't see what's going on right in front of us in our lives, and when we're taken completely out of our comfort zone, that we should shrink back and be destroyed in our dedication to the Lord, in our faith? No. We shouldn't expect that if we are followers of Jesus. 
not who we belong to. It's not who we are. Like Samson, it's when our lives are plowed with hardships, suffering, or being annoyed with your spouse, or having just the hardest time patiently caring for your elderly mother, or being gracious and just showing up day in, day out at work faithfully while your coworkers nagging you to pick up the pace or this and that. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going, as they say. And in Judges chapter 16, verses 27 through 30, Samson is at his weakest. But it is here that he is made his strongest. The Philistines are throwing something like a victory parade to their god, Dagon, and they think that he has delivered into their hands public enemy number one. And when everyone in the temple starts feeling real great about life, after a couple sips of grape juice, of course, um, they want some entertainment, so they call Samson in to take care of that. Look with me here about what happens after this in Judges chapter 16, verses 27 through 30. Judges chapter, 20, or chapter 16, verse 27 through 30 reads, Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers <clears throat> excuse me, of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me, please God. Strengthen me just once more. Ever prayed that prayer before? Samson continues in his prayer. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them. His right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. And then we see this summary statement about Samson's calling. Thus, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Though Samson was blind, in that moment, he could truly see. Though Samson was in the hands of the Philistines, in that moment, he was truly liberated, free. And though in that moment, Samson was weak, when he called upon the Lord, the Lord made Samson truly strong. And here is Samson's redemption. Not so much that in this moment, he killed more when he died than while he lived, but 
this, that he realized that he could not be light in the darkness unless he called upon the Lord and the Lord made him strong. And ironically, Samson's redemption comes when we least expect it, at his death. At Samson's death, he delivered Israel out of the hands of more Philistines than he ever did while he lived. And then that's it. Story's over with Samson. And after Samson dies, the people of Israel continue to be influenced by the nations. They still continue to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They still continue to be delivered into the hands of nations like the Philistines. And this is the point where we see that they need one greater than Samson. And like Israel, we, we need one Nazarite warrior greater than Samson. We need a true Samson. We need a true light in the darkness who can take the lead in delivering us from the hands of our true enemy, not Philistines, not political parties, not our people who are making our lives miserable, but sin. And when we move from Samson, we see that he is pointing us to a greater Samson, a true light in the darkness, Jesus. And we encounter him right after Hebrews 11, in Hebrews 11, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Turn with me over there. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we encounter this greater Samson. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles or seduces And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we see that there is one greater than Samson in Jesus. He is the true light in the darkness that Israel, Samson, you, me, we all need. He never once took a turn in the dark directions that we all have gone down. He never once came close to being seduced by the darkness that has seduced all of us. Yet, Jesus took the lead in delivering us from this darkness, from our sin by being crushed for it as he endured his death on the cross. And unlike Samson or any other Moses or David type of figure, Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. And that should get a hallelujah right there for us.
He was victoriously raised from the, on the third day from the dead. He sits on the throne with his Father in heaven. And what that tells us when we see that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, it tells us he owns everything. And if there are sufferings in our lives, if there are hardships that we face, they got to go through him first. And so we ultimately look not to Israel, not to Samson, not to our significant other, not to pornography, not to our jobs, not to our family, not to our control over our situations, and certainly not to our good works for strength. When we are weak, we look to Jesus. Jesus endured the cross so we can endure any form of hardship. Give us hard struggles or give us easy comforts. It doesn't matter. Because we belong to a family of faith with members like Samson. And we believe in a, in a Savior like Jesus. Excuse me, let me get some water. We belong to a family of faith. I'm sorry about this. <clears throat> belong to a family of faith with family members like Samson. And we believe in a Savior like Jesus. And because of who he is and what he has done, we can endure. We don't have to be weary. We don't have to lose heart. When we are weak and call upon the Lord, he will make us strong. When we are weak and call upon the Lord, family, he's going to make us strong. Keep calling in your weakness. He'll make us strong. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you that we are not alone. Thank you that you've given us a pioneer. Thank you that you've given us a perfecter of faith in Jesus. Thank you for giving us one who's breathtakingly more attractive than any darkness this world could try to seduce us with. Keep us captivated by Jesus so we would look to him as we journey through this world. And Father, by your grace, empower us. Through your spirit, empower us so that we can be light in the darkness to our street corners. So that we can be a part of what you're doing in the world because of who we belong to and because of who we believe in. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mm -hmm.